Good morning. It is Monday, June 21st, 2021. Yeah, 21-6-21. Huh. And this is DC Signal to Noise. All right, since we last checked in, we have had the longest day of the year. I received a whopping one-third of an inch of rain outside of our bunker here in Northeast Iowa. You're better than California. Oh, terrible out there. Absolutely terrible. Get this. Uh, the Cubs went east and had to win the last game of a four-gamer to avoid the sweep, and then came home and had to win the last game of a three-gamer against the Marlins to avoid a sweep. They're still atop the NL Central. We're tied with the Brewers. And the Nationals have won eight out of ten, and Schwarber, five home runs in two days. You're welcome. You are welcome. <laughs> I'm telling you, yes, eight out of the last 10, climbed out of the basement, sneaking up on 500. It, I, don't look now, but here they come. And and we have the shark guy back. Uh, he, he's back from Japan. Oh, you're kidding. No, they, they, they brought him back, back and he got a good double yesterday. Oh, the crowd went wild, just went <laughs> wild. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they're very glad that they've got their baby shark back. Yeah. That's I did want to note, Chip, that tomorrow morning I drive up to Pennsylvania, Lebanon to speak uh, Wednesday morning to the Pennsylvania Pork and Poultry Summit. And then that afternoon, I travel a little over five hours to go to Greenbrier in West Virginia to speak to uh, my great group there each year, the Cotton you know, Warehouse Group. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So you've got some work. We're coming up this week. That's Absolutely. Good. Absolutely. Hey, here's, here's one other thing that has happened since we last spoke. And I, nobody saw this coming. I, I, well, I don't know if nobody saw it coming, but we sure didn't talk about it. We've got a new national holiday, Jim. Yeah, they really did it what, one day before the, <laughs> the national holiday. Who says Congress can't work fast when they have a holiday they want? You know what I mean? Right. Yes, you know, Juneteenth Day, celebrated officially, you know, June the 19th. And it's right. the uh, Emancipation Day, and it's right. needed. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's one that we can all celebrate together as a nation. This is it. it you know, there, there are some that are trying to turn it into a race issue. There's no race issue in this no. one. This is something that everybody should be should be celebrating. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. The areas that needed the rain the least got the most in some of the driest areas got a little relief. There's some rain in the outlook for later this week and temperatures will be below normal. And that's got the grain markets under pressure. Corn, 18 to 19 cents lower. New crop beans, 27, 28 cents lower. Wheat, 8 to 11 cents lower. I'm AgriTalk host Chip Flory. That is Pro Farmer Policy Analyst Jim Weissmeyer. And as I said, this is DC Signal to Noise. Let's get into some of the real issues because it was an historic week in the grain markets last week, Jim. Record one-day losses in soybean futures. It, I, I guess I want to say that it surprises me, but everybody talked about how the other side of the high which is now this side of the high, was going to be an extremely volatile period in the grain markets. And here we are. 
Yes, and what you and what we see once again, Chip, they go up a lot slower than they go down. You know that's you know, you know traditional, and they may be getting ahead of themselves. Uh, watch your crop, although it's very subjective. These crop progress ratings that I've, I kind of don't put all that much weight on it, even though you know everybody likes to talk about something every Monday and Tuesday, but. If they continue to go down, I think the market's getting ahead of themselves in the wrong way. This uh, corn and soybean, you know, you know, crop could be hurt more than people think. Yeah, you, one of the things that that uh, I talked about quite a bit last week, especially in the second hour of AgriTalk, was how the market seemed to be removing uncertainty about yield potential. It's way, way, way too early to be removing uncertainty about yield potential. Uh, there was a lot going in on going on inside of those corn plants last week when it was under stress, and it's yes. going to be under stress again this week, even though we've got the cooler temperatures, because there are a lot of areas, my area included, that a third of an inch of rain, um, it's going to help, but it'll be gone by two o'clock this afternoon, yeah, even though it's cooler. Yeah, with the heat and the winds. Yeah. Even the winds will just suck it out. And I think people are not adequate. Every Western state is in a drought category. And, you know, North Dakota is a very important state now. So I don't, again, I don't think people are good traders and analysts, especially, are giving that state its, uh, you know, its, uh, you know, due service, uh, Chip. So yeah. I would watch it. I think we could get some surprises on USDA's first official crop estimate. What August? So we're a ways, uh, we're a way a ways from that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get a we'll get a hint in the July 12 crop production report in the spring wheat. That'll be the first yes. survey-based spring wheat estimate. And based on some of the pictures and and they're already evaluating damage for crop insurance in North Dakota, Jim. So absolutely. And let me bridge something in here. Senator Jerry Moran, who you've had on AgriTalk, and he's a very good guy, farmer, you know, friendly, you know, Senator from Kansas. He put in when when he when when Vilsack, USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack, appeared before the Senate uh, Appropriations, uh, Ag Appropriations Subcommittee, he asked him, he flat out told him that farmers are losing faith in USDA estimates. And I think they put 10 million more into the NAS, uh, you know, budget uh, chip. And he asked Phil Sack about it. Uh, what would he do? And he goes, well, if it if they don't improve, he's not doing his job. So yeah. uh, that's a good response from Bill Sack. And we're going to see, but at least Senator Moran finally issued a question on the minds of many farmers and ranchers. Yeah, it's a good answer from Bill Sack, but he may be overestimating his own abilities. That's a big issue that needs to be fixed. It is a big issue, and it usually takes a concerted uh, look from both not government people, but private industry people. I think the private industry is getting ahead of USDA. I do not like saying that, but I don't know why it occurred, but it's just happening, and I think they need to true up their uh, estimates and the world board, their forecast. Yeah, private industry, don't blame it. Don't just think it's USDA going backwards. Private industry is doing better in all of this as well. Yes. yes. We can't forget that. It was kind of a perfect storm in the grain markets last week. Uh, yes, weather is is part of the issue. We also had just fund liquidation. The, the, the funds had been long in corn and soybeans for a very long period of time. We had the Fed meeting. They were talking about pulling forward the interest rate increase. 
that shot the dollar higher, Jim, and uh, was another source of pressure on that market on Wednesday and Thursday. Absolutely. That's why we always at ProFarmer talk about those so-called outside markets, you know, uh, yields for bonds, uh, the, the dollar index, uh, the metals, where we're going. And you also saw the tip-off chip was the lumber prices crashed. Uh, although they're still way up, we're not out of the woods yet on those lumber prices. However, that that was a leading indicator, if you will, of what was going to happen in the grains. Right, right. Um, because soybean oil was one of the leaders to the downside, back-to-back limit down days, one of those being expanded limit of 550 points or five and a half cents. Yes. Be, because... Because bean oil was involved in it and corn was limit down on Thursday, I, it, I've got the feeling that um, EPA's plans for the RFS, the renewable fuel standard, regarding the renewable volume obligations, re, regarding the potential for some small refinery exemptions, that had something to do with the pressure that we saw on the markets last week, too. I think it was. And in AgriTalk, when you interviewed Vilsack last week, I know I immediately heard my news here, immediately heard him signaling, at least, not for sure, a potential lower of compl- overall RVOs, as we call it, renewable volume obligations, of under 15 billion gallons. Uh, politically, I just think it's so stupid if they do that. But Vilsack indicated to you, look at the whole package. Now, he didn't really define that. But, you know, this uh, latest announcement of, uh, uh, what, 700 million or something for the, you know, biofuels uh, industry, uh, that could be a sop, you know, you know, to the industry, but it just doesn't pass the political smell test, Uh, they would lose a lot of uh, the, the support they have in many areas of the rural be- belt, uh, Chip, if they don't fulfill their pre-campaign pledge of Biden and Vilsack, by the way, as Biden's spokesman, uh, that they were would honor the RFS, uh, you know, volume of 15 billion gallons. So I, I want to see. The other angle I have on this is we had rumors, and they proved wrong, that EPA was going to make an announcement last Thursday. But historically, the proposal goes over to the Office of Management and Budget, and you can track those when the agencies send them over. And I couldn't find any. In fact, they polled one uh, after uh, after the Trump administration put it through late last year. So uh, again, until OMB receives the proposal, you're not going to. Usually, you don't get an, an announcement for about a week at least a week. So, you know, there's your tracking signal, Chip. Gotcha. Gotcha. This is one, obviously, that is going to play out in the week ahead. When do you think we are going to get the preliminary RVOs? Well, they li- the EPA loves around a holiday announcement because Congress is out. They don't get railed for at least for a while. So I could say it could be, uh, you know, coming up by the end of the month. At least that's what they previously signaled as well. And that would give OMB their typical one to two weeks to review it, although they've been discussing it at the interagency level. Uh, Brian Deese, the National Economic Council Administrator, has been pushing um, through, I think, talks with the Vermont lawmakers, where Biden's from, 
for a lower uh, RVO to help out the crude oil industry. Uh, and just think about that on, on, on many other issues, taxes, they want to withdraw tax benefits from the uh, you know, crude oil industry. They're not approving pipeline uh, you know, pipelines, and, and yet they do this relative to uh, the biofuels industry that's going to help the administration yeah. relative to the climate change issue. So yeah. nobody said Washington had to make sense, Chip, and in this one, it just does not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark Recker said it very well on Friday's Free For All, farmer from Iowa. If you if you're going to believe the Biden administration and their their claims that they are fighting climate change, then we should see nothing but an uptrend in biodiesel and renewable diesel and ethanol use and a downtrend in fossil fuel use. It's that simple. If if yes. uh, if if they're to be believed, um, anything else in the COVID relief package that that was uh, that we got the details on last week jim yes it's and we're getting emails from from signal to noise viewers and readers and also agritalk people what about that promised uh, plus up if you will for those uh, hog producers that was announced last december so it's what was not in that package chip and um i put uh, you know queries into usda but frankly i think it was the record hog prices that made they didn't say this but made usda not put in that additional money at a minimum for contract hog producers. They did sell for poultry, by the way. So I think that price run up to record highs uh, has, has something to do with it. But we will continue to check in on that. And I also check with my good people at the uh, National Pork Producers Council to see what they're hearing as well. Yeah. Okay. Very good. That's a good time uh, to remind everyone that is that is with us. Thank you for joining us. And if you've got a comment or a question, use that comment tab over on the right side of the screen and, and we'll try to uh, to get to your questions and your comments as, as we go along. Uh, we're not at record high hog prices any longer, Jim. No, last, no. last week, July hogs down $11.30. Mm. That's a 9.42% uh, decline in one week. And a lot of it's got to do with the line speeds. That's another conversation that we had with Secretary Vilsack. Absolutely. And he, again, said that was not his decision to make. The Solicitor General, I think, he said, I, he, he's in a box on this one. So I do, I don't feel for many ag secretaries, but on this one, I do. Now, he could have argued internally, we don't know. But again, there's one reason why they're doing what they did, Jeff, and it's labor unions. It's a sop to the labor unions. That's pure and simple what it is. Yeah. Yeah, Secretary Grassley was on the show a week ago today, and you and Secretary, Secretary, you and Senator Grassley are the two that have been pointing at uh, the labor unions as and their role in all of this, Jim. So, uh, yeah, I think it's something that we need to pay attention to. Okay, let's go and to the look at the labor union on this RVO too. There's a trend here, Jeff. Yeah, because they they met with Dees, by the way, on the on the RVOs. Okay, uh, flesh that out a little bit for me, Jim. Well, they want to lower because they want to help. The, in this case, 
They want to help the crude oil industry because probably lobby money or, you know, whatever. Uh, and a lower RBO would lower the RINs. But, you know, I, I wrote this morning, I know it's a controversial reading, but it's fact. Uh, this is a lot like the livestock industry when they livestock, dairy and poultry earlier this year when they were complaining about the higher feed prices, Chip. But in the prior 18 months, that sector, sectors, had an opportunity to get feed coverage. The yeah. same way thing goes for the crude oil industry. They had an ample opportunity to, to purchase RINs when they were lower, but they didn't, and it got away from them. So again, they're asking government to bail them out when they had bad marketing, pure and simple. All right. Um, weekend happening. This one really caught my attention. A spokesman for the White House reiterated uh, opposition to indexing the gasoline tax to inflation. We're going to have to pay for this infrastructure bill somehow, Jim. And it's looking more and more likely that it's going to be the the biggest ever tax increase that's going to that's going to be there to pay for it. Well, if that's the way, then you have to, you know, look at the votes, Chip. Do they have them even, even, they may not even be able to get 50 solid, you know, Democratic votes because of Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, that that Trump won by what, almost 40 points. Yeah. Uh, so they're in a dilemma. We're back to the same issue we've had under the at least last two to three administrations in the White House, how to fund it. Now, they may just want to go into debt. I mean, to me, that is a good reason to go into the debt when you're investing in infrastructure. Japan has done it over the years, and China, of course, has uh, you know done that. But yeah, this is a signal, and we're going to get, <clears throat> Chip, the review of the latest bipartisan plan in the Senate, uh, at least the White House said that over the weekend, today, uh, Biden's going to comment. And that'll give us our next signal of where this issue is going. But internally, the Democrats are fighting within themselves because you have the far left that some people call progressives. I don't. But the far left, Bernie Sanders, uh, uh, AOC et al., they want a six a uh, trillion, trillion, yeah, trillion, six trillion dollar infrastructure package. That's not going to happen. But if they don't get what they want relative to that number and how it uh, merges into their climate, you know, change debate, it's going to be hard to find the votes now, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, and it certainly is going to be one of the focus, uh, one of the. Uh, items focused on this week in Washington. Is this the last week that we could see a bipartisan uh, package? That Before the July 4th weekend. So you could maybe go into early next week. But, you know, we've had this timeline uh, keeps being stretched. Now, that's to the uh, to the complement of the White House, not Congress. Uh, Biden is is giving them rope. In, in order to find the necessary ingredients. But we're down now to the funding mechanism. I think they're closer than people think to coming up with a, a, a plan that could actually get the necessary votes. But I want to see what Biden says today, because their, their backup plan is that uh, 
the infrastructure package, you know, package that includes concessions to Republicans without a guarantee that their priorities on climate, health care, and social welfare are going to be accommodated in a follow-up budget legislation. So that, that could be a thorn in this whole issue, Chip. So a lot of hurdles, a lot of hurdles. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, let's take a look at the week ahead. Uh, last week when Senator Grassley was on the show, he mentioned that he thought that there was going to be some hearings on cattle market transparency and other issues in the following week. And it turns out he was right. Um, it's coming up on Wednesday. Yeah, coming up on Wednesday in the Senate. And we're going to have a series of economists and producer groups or, or you know, representatives for, you, you, you know, some producer groups. And I think it's going to show how complex this issue is, Chip. But I, I, I always like when they air out a complex issue. And, you know, this is one of them. That's really the function of hearings to air out, you know, the different sides of a debate. And trust me, there are different sides on this one. Jim, have you... Have you heard a, a list of witnesses that are going to be testifying? Some now? economist. I saw a temporary one. I don't have it in front of okay. me right now, Chip. But it didn't uh, signal to me any bias uh, that that I saw overtly. You always worry about that, whether it's going to be a stacked, you know, deck or not. But I, I saw the three economists and some of the producer people. And as long as they have producers representative on that hearing, yeah. I'm okay with anything. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, there, there's going to be some hearings taking a look at the effectiveness of the farm safety nets this week too, huh? Yeah, House Ag Subcommittee hearing, and boy, is that overdue. But again, I applaud. Oversight is needed. Frankly, the last few years, we have not had adequate oversight on farm policy. Now we need to look at that last farm bill to see what worked and what didn't work. And I know no program or safety net chip could, could really impact the trade mitigation that we had to go through relative to the U.S.-China trade war, and especially relative to the COVID uh, that we're continuing to go through in the, in the huge amounts of funding for that. However, a structure can be uh, implemented to at least perhaps tap into what they've already done relative to the Commodity Credit Corporation. And watch for that during Wednesday's hearing. Who brings it up? How much more funding are people going to recommend? Remember, we've had it, it's currently maxed out at $30 you know, billion. We've had calls to 50 to 60 you know, billion dollars as a fail-safe uh, area that a, a future administration you know, could, you know, you know, tap into because frankly, with the way the, the climate is going for whatever reason, uh, we need a different uh, safety, we need an amplified safety net, uh, similar, you know, similarities to what we have now for the basics. But boy, we need a, 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 a tap like the CCC Charter Act to go through in these very uncertain times relative to the weather events and other aspects of COVID aid. I don't think the, the uh, you know, COVID-19 is a one-shot affair. So we at least should have a mechanism ready in case we need it, Chip. Yeah. The, as long as you mentioned uh, COVID-19 and vaccinations and so on, um, looks like the White House is putting out the warning that eh, we may not get to that 70% vaccination rate by the 4th of July. There's concern about the Delta variant. Um, it's, uh, it, 
obviously the White House is not going to back off on its push to get people vaccinated at this point. No, and they shouldn't really. And boy, this variant, this Delta variant, is a is a bugaboo, Chip. And you know, I don't, I can't tell anyone to get the uh, you know vaccine, but I would want to question why they're not. I mean, I I know there's uncertainty anything in anything. I know of the speed at which they came up with this. I hear that a lot from people, even in my own family who are not taking, the younger people, who are not taking the vaccines yet. And of course, I argue with them. And they're just saying, boy, they came up with this awfully fast. But you had the best minds in the pharmaceutical industry focus on this with consort with the government. And they came up with it. So I think rather than fear it, they should embrace it. But apparently more than a few are are not. Well, and you, you also have to look at the money on this. I mean, the Trump administration put billions of dollars out in front of them to find the solution. Yes. Um, (laughs) Pharmaceutical companies have proven in the past they will respond when there are profits to be had. Yes, absolutely. And they did they did rise to the occasion. Uh, And so I will get both, even though the the Democrats do not give uh, Trump any, you know, credo. Uh, for coming up with with the beginning of, of this uh, you, uh, yeah. you know vaccine effort, uh, he did a lot, and his people oh. did a lot. Absolutely, absolutely. What he did was he not only hit the green light on it, he he lit the fire and, yes. and things going. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, the Senate is going. This one's interesting to me as well. Take a look. Taking a look at the Global Global Climate Solutions Act. The reason it's so interesting to me is there are several um, carbon market meetings, webinars this week. Farm Journal is having one uh, on Wednesday, I believe. Maybe it's, maybe it's Tuesday. Go to farmjournal.com events and, and check it out. You can, you can get signed up there. Uh, but there are some carbon market webinars happening this week, Q&A sessions and so on. And one of the questions that I've been asking the private sector all along is, should the government get be involved in the establishment and, and uh, oversight of these carbon markets? Private industry says, you know what? We can handle this. It, there may be some role for government in, in uh, the carbon markets, but for the most part, eh, no. Eh, the Global Climate Solutions Act would start to provide some of the oversight and the ground rules for carbon markets, right? Yes. And I think there should be standards on this. And that's where the role of a government can and should come in. They shouldn't run uh, the, you know, carbon bank, but uh, overseeing is the role of, you know, government officials, uh, our history shows. But, you know, I've been at several seminars, Chip, in which the climate change, some excellent panels, by the way, have, have discussed this. And my notes usually say uh, nothing is decided. You don't know how to measure it yet, and you don't know how to price the carbon credits. So, I would tell any farmer or rancher, ask those two questions. And and if they're not being answered, be very careful what you're doing in this area, especially signing any document where your credits are are going to be locked in. Okay. All right. Uh, Anything that we need to know about the House Ag Appropriations Subcommittee marking up the appropriations bill? No, I I usually say I want to see when it goes to the full 
to the full committee and the floor because that's where you can get some dastardly amendments, Chip. Uh, that that could really fly uh, in the in in the seat of common sense. So I'm going to reserve judgment on this. This is part of the you know process. I did want to point out that the Iowa poll that was in the you know, Saturday Des Moines Register really got a lot of talk here in Washington, where it showed almost two thirds want someone to replace Grassley. Now, I, you have Grassley on a lot. It'll be curious. I know he would have a comment on that. But yeah. his job approval stood at 45%. That's surprising to me, which the Des Moines Register said was is his worst since 1982. So I don't know whether that's a signal there or not. Grassley has proven so many people wrong so often, but it is a signal nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, Department of Justice, a couple of quick hitters here, Jim. Department of Justice says the farmer's bringing the suit. Well, let's back up here just a second. The Department of Justice is defending USDA's socially disadvantaged farmer debt forgiveness in court filing. Um, they are saying the farmers that are bringing the suit uh, cannot show irreparable harm the chairman of the house ag committee released a statement this morning jim i don't know if you saw it uh, because it happened moments before we got on and he says i strongly support and thank secretary vilsack for standing up and fighting for this critical urgent and much needed legislation this shameful lawsuit is racial discrimination at its worst against our nation's black farmers and socially disadvantaged farmers and I do not say this lightly because white farmers already own 98% of all the farmland in the United States and black farmers own just 1%. Uh, we're talking, of course, about the American Rescue Plan legislation that includes $5 billion in loan forgiveness, 120% uh, loan forgiveness. Jim, this is, this is one that we were, you were on, you were on months ago that it was going to take years to play out in court. Yes. And and I still believe that this is eventually going to go to the Supreme Court. Uh, this lawyer, uh, Griesbach, is to decide on the preliminary injunction by July 23rd, by Wednesday. So we're going to have some key things Wednesday, that cattle pricing uh, hearing, the, far, the farmer safety net hearing, and now this you know, decision deadline on the preliminary uh, injunction. Uh, this goes into constitutional matters, Chip, and that's where the Supreme Court will eventually get involved. Uh, you shouldn't use race as a requirement to get any, uh, you know, you know, you know, government, uh, you know, payment. I think that's what it's going to boil down to. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, one final one. Uh, Congressman Sam Graves from Missouri is going to be on the show this morning. We're going to be talking about the waters of the U.S. rule, Jim. What's the latest? Well, he's the he's the best one in Congress to, to, from an ag perspective. He knows transportation and he knows the great system of of our waterways. And yeah. uh, so he they're, they're going to be very careful relative to the uh, still unknown implementation of the Biden version of the you know WOTUS rule. But as far as funding transportation, he'll give a pretty good update because he's in all the more uh, important meetings. And I trust him. He's a good guy. Absolutely. Omar, I saw your comment early and I'm going to echo it to everybody right now as we sign off. I love U.S. farmers, ranchers and U.S. Farm Report too. Thank you so much, Omar, for listening and thank you everybody signing off from D.C. Signal to North.